Hi, and welcome to our show, Forever Paranormal, with your host, Dr. Bill and Ed, where we will discuss such things as cryptids, UFOs, hauntings, angels, unsolved mysteries, government conspiracies and cover-ups, witchcraft, the metaphysical, and more, as well as stories sent in by you, our listeners. If we can connect a paranormal element to it, we'll talk about it. And you may be surprised by what all is connected to the paranormal. Please don't forget to follow, rate, and share the show, since it would not be possible without you, our listeners. And as a public service, we would like to let everyone know that you are truly never alone, even if you think you are. The Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is 988. Just reach out. Hello everyone, and welcome to this week's episode, where we are going to talk about some haunted churches from around the world. What really makes this truly interesting is the fact that even though a lot of these churches now sit empty, there are still many that have a worshiping congregation and are still in use. Hi Deb, it's been a while since you crossed the threshold of a church, so are you ready to enter this topic, so to say? Well... Let me begin with a question that immediately pops in my mind. How is it possible for a holy place to be haunted by evil spirits or ghosts? I'm not saying they're all evil, but there are accounts that indicate they can be. That's just it. They're not all evil. So I guess we'll delve into some of these and see what we can learn from it. And maybe that might answer your question. But maybe we should look at it this way. If it's got an evil spirit in it, it's probably not still a functioning church. Otherwise, it just has like Casper the Friendly Ghost, maybe. Not quite sure, but we'll try to find out. We're going to discuss some churches located in the U.S., the U.K., and elsewhere around the world. So let's get rolling with one that Deb has talked about, and it's in our nation's capital, and that is the Washington National Cathedral located in Washington, D.C. The Washington National Cathedral, also known as the Cathedral Church of St. Peter and St. Paul, is an American cathedral of the Episcopal Church located in Washington, D.C. It was chartered by the U.S. Congress in 1893 and established on Mount St. Alban in 1907. Stonemasons and builders erected the cathedral beginning in 1907 but not completing it for 83 years later in 1990. Carved from Indiana limestone, the structure boasts a 30-story tall central tower, an interior nine-bay nave, and 215 stained-glass windows, including one embedded with a moon rock. The cathedral has many gargoyle-style carvings ranging from the image of Darth Vader to the devil complete with cloven hoof and pointed tail who happens to be carrying carving tools, a pistol, a dagger, a flask, and a set of golf clubs. Well, we know what they're doing in the Capitol. One of the ghosts that supposedly roamed this church is that of a stone carver named Joseph Raddy, and that of his wife. Raddy fell while carving the cathedral and was killed, and the gargoyle he was carving is still unfinished to this day. It's rumored that a stone carver's wife had died, 
and wanted to be buried at the cathedral, but they said no. So he supposedly had snuck in at night, mixed her cremated ashes with the mortar holding the stones together, and that she is seen on occasion walking the grounds. But probably the most famous ghost to be said roaming the grounds is that of President Woodrow Wilson, who can be heard walking the hallways at night. He is actually the only president buried at the cathedral. Yeah, there's not a lot of haunting tales that can be found, but it, I find it interesting. There are so many items and details within the buildings and on the grounds of this place that really encompass every facet of society through contests and requests and so on and so forth throughout history. Also, fun fact, I didn't know this, but Helen Keller and her teacher are buried there as well. Ah, oh, well, you know, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. But it's like the carving of Darth Vader. The, the, the gargoyles, I call them gargoyles, but they're actually called a grotesque. And the grotesque are, the, are things on a building like gargoyles and stuff that spew water out or guard the building on the corner, stuff like that. And it is pretty cool that the one of Darth Vader come from a contest held with children. And I believe it was through National Geographic, but I'm not quite sure on that. Right. Okay, for our next church, let's go ahead and cross the Atlantic and head to the Borley Church and Rectory in Essex, UK. Built in 1862, the house was installed as the residence for the parish rector and was instantly the subject of local gossip. The rectory was an imposing and strange building with a pointed and much photographed east frontage and cramped internal courtyard. The earlier rectory had burned to the ground in 1841, and the Gothic monolith that replaced it was ripe for excitable imaginations to run rapid. Local legends have been long established, primarily saying there was supposedly an old Benedictine monastery on those grounds and in that area around 1362. Local lore states that a local monk began a secret affair with a nun from a nearby convent. After the affair was discovered by their superiors, the lovers were brutally punished. The monk was swiftly executed, but the nun, Marie Laire, suffered a far worse fate, as she was said to have been bricked up in the convent walls and left there to suffocate and die. It is said that schoolchildren started seeing the ghost of the nun in 1863. Ah, but wait, there's more. In 1927, the Reverend Guy Eric Smith and his wife moved into the rectory and the first instances of a modern haunting laid their roots. Shortly after moving in, the skull of a young woman was found in the cupboard by his wife. This discovery was said to have been the trigger for supernatural activity within the house. Immediately after the skull was discovered, a whole host of paranormal events were said to have occurred. Strange lights appeared, unexpected footsteps, moved in the house and ghostly apparitions of a horse-drawn carriage, was seen nearby. Then, in 1930, Reverend Lionel Foister, Marianne, his wife, and their daughter Adelaide moved into the rectory. It would be this family, and Marianne in particular, who would become most synonymous with the ghostly happenings. The Reverend's report about these things included a variety of distressing claims, including the breaking of windows, strange writing appearing on the walls, their daughter being locked in a room to which there was no key, 
and objects such as bottles and stones were thrown about the house. Marianne would make additions to his report that would eclipse anything reported before. The Reverend's wife appeared to be at the center of the most extreme poltergeist activity, claiming to have been violently thrown from bed and periodically attacked by an unseen agent. With such strong poltergeist activity, one has to ask, was it their daughter Adelaide creating the activity? Possibly Marianne herself, or someone or something else entirely. But what about the church itself, you ask? Well, the church is claimed to be haunted, although with much less activity than the former Borley Rectory. Alleged paranormal activity includes phantom organ music, ghostly chanting, and the ghost of the nun moving about the churchyard. Ghost stories from the church and the rectory are frequently connected to a supposed Benedictine monastery in the area. Paranormal investigator Ed Warren claimed to have accidentally taken a picture of the ghost of a monk leafing through the books of the church. I ran across an article from Time magazine about this rectory to which the Society of Psychical Research investigated a former ghost hunter's account from approximately 1929, I believe. And in the article, it says they indicate that much of the goings-on were overstated and possibly faked by a rector's wife. That investigation was only pertaining to one of these accounts, however. I have not yet found that there were any investigations into any of the other rectors that stayed there. And yeah. Their yeah, yeah, Deb, you're right. And, you know, when we talk about was it Marianne or Adelaide, mm -hmm. Adelaide was a mere child at the time, between two and four years old, something like that. So we can't really count her in for poltergeist activity. Marianne, possibly, yeah. But, you know, there's another local legend out there that said the rector's wife, Mary Ann, was actually having an affair with one of the renters of the house. I guess they rented rooms out, and she was having an affair with one of them and used all this to cover up the noises and all the different things going on with the affair. So I tend to look on the side of they're not the first ones, they're not the only ones that have ghostly activity, so I'm going with the ghostly activity being true. Maybe, but uh, interestingly enough, I should have mentioned that the invest the ghost hunter that the center was investigating was had actually passed away by the time they released their findings. So he was not able to rebut or dispute or however that works. Yeah, yeah, good point. Good point. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's stay in the UK a bit longer as we look at our next church, which is St. Mary's Church in Clophill, Bedfordshire. This is also known as the Old Parish Church that was built around 1350. In 1848, a new church was built closer to the center of town, and the Old Parish Church was converted into a mortuary chapel, but was abandoned around 1950. The Old Parish Church is generally believed to be a church of dark magic and oriented incorrectly. It supposedly is not oriented due east towards Jerusalem, as are many other churches in the British Isles are. Another myth is that the church is built on top of an ancient leper colony, 
where infected villagers as well as those suffered from the plague were left to die. But let's clarify this. The church is built due east, like most churches are. The problem in this church is the altar faces south. The church can be oriented any direction at once as long as the altar faces east. That's where Jerusalem is. But this one, the altar faces south. St. Mary's Church first hit the headlines in March of 1963. During the night, satanic graffiti had been written on the church walls and several graves had been desecrated. Scattered cockerel feathers and traces of two Maltese crosses in filled in red, one newly done and the other somewhat weather-worn, were found inside the church. Six graves of females had been tampered with before the stone slab above a seventh, that of Jenny Humberson, the apothecary's daughter, who had died in 1770 at the age of 22. Hers was open, and her bones were found to have been arranged on a makeshift altar, and her skull impaled on a metal spike, which was stuck into the wall. Reverend Barker, the rector at that time, told the press, that Satan worshippers are known to always use a female at the center of their ceremonies. I'm not sure where Reverend Barker got their information, but anyhow. And his church warrant ascribed the damage to some kind of devil worship. Similarly, police reportedly stated that as animal sacrifices, they're commonly used and described in accounts of satanic rites. The cockerel was possibly sacrificial, and the crosses were possibly painted with animal blood. The old church had been restored to the point where it welcomes visitors for tours now. If you want to go visit, keep in mind that the locals believe the church is haunted by the devil himself, since the altar faces south and not east. I've read in the 1960s, thereabout, it is said that a local college student, student excuse me, actually admitted to setting up one of the devil-worshipping scenes as a joke. Do you think or know if that is the case throughout the history? No, I, I don't think it is. And I'm not really sure if that's a true account or not, because the first two kids they arrested coming from there in 1963 were not even college students. They were local uh, people, and they weren't college students. Then some college students claimed it as a prank that they had done, maybe for popularity, maybe for truthfulness. I don't think we'll ever know. Yeah. Okay, Deb. Now we need to come back across the Atlantic because, you know, we can't talk about haunted churches without going to my favorite haunted location, the French Quarter of New Orleans. That's where you'll find the famous St. Louis Cathedral. We have been there, and it's definitely an awesome sight to see. Why would this church be haunted, you ask? Well, maybe because before the newest construction started, they actually buried people right inside the church. Yep, the church itself is a cemetery. In addition to this, there was reportedly six bodies left on the steps to rot, and that were moved in and buried inside, and that two voodoo priestesses are buried there. But this may get a little confused with the famous St. Louis cemeteries, because we know voodoo priestess Marie Laveau is entombed at St. Louis Number 1, as you well know, Deb, from having your picture taken in front of her tomb. Mm -hmm. 
But perhaps the most famous ghost associated with St. Louis Cathedral is that of Pierre Antoine. Pierre was a Spanish Capuchin friar at the St. Louis Cathedral. He arrived in New Orleans in 1774 and was named pastor. His generosity and his kindness to the people of New Orleans made him very popular. He was well liked by all of New Orleans. His death on January 19, 1829 was met with a somber and mourning city. He was laid to rest inside the St. Louis Cathedral three days after his death. Since his death in 1829, the ghost of Pierre Antoine has been seen in St. Louis Cathedral by an untold number of people. His ghost is easily recognized as there is a portrait of him inside the cathedral. It seems the ghost of Pierre Antoine especially likes to show himself around the holiday seasons. Commonly the ghost of Pierre Antoine is seen near the altar and on the balconies. Interestingly though, the ghost of Pierre Antoine has been seen in other areas of the city as well, especially in the alley next to the cathedral. Real or not, I really like this one because the priest in real life was well-liked and known for his mission to comfort and aid those in need. Apparently, he still takes that daily stroll, and I suppose he continues to aid. There was also a pastor prior to this one in 1745, and his name was he had the same mission and even defied the Spanish governor to give proper proper burials to members of the rebellion at the time who were left on display in the streets to rot as a warning to the citizens. Wow, that's pretty cool. I wasn't aware of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so working our way to the end of the episode, this next church is really not reported to be haunted, but is definitely at the top of the charge for being spooky cool. And that's the Sedlik Ossuary, which is better known as the Church of Bones, located in Kuntahora, about an hour outside of Prague in the Czech Republic. On the outside, this looks like any other medieval Gothic church. But like many things, it's what's on the inside that counts. The chandelier in the center of the church contains at least one of every human bone. Even the Schwarzenberg family's coat of arms is made entirely of human bone. I know, I know. Everyone is asking, how did this come to be in a Roman Catholic church? Well, it all goes way back to 1278, when the king of Bohemia sent the abbot of the Sedlik Cistern Monastery to Jerusalem. When the abbot returned, he brought a jar of soil from him from Golgotha, which is known as the Place of the Skull and it's known as the Holy Soil. Soon, people from all over the place desired to be buried in Sedlik. Thus, the cemetery had to be expanded. Then, in the 15th century, a Gothic church was built near the cemetery, and its basement was used as an ossuary. The bones stayed there for centuries until 1870, when a woodcarver named Frantistic Grint was appointed to place the bones in order. The result was impressively shocking. The Sedlik Ossuary, it's not that scary, but peaceful for those 40,000 dead people who wish to be buried in a holy place. That's why they sent Sedlik. That's why they went to Sedlik in the first place, 
and now their bones are right in the middle of the chapel. Now, is that spooky cool or what? I know these people wanted to be buried there, but there were also victims of the plague and crusades there as well. So my question is, how did Rent at that time know how to properly handle these bones without contracting whatever causes the plague? Well, because those people were buried in the cemetery, and only the 40,000 that wished to be buried on the holy ground were put in the ossuary, which is basically just a giant storage area for bones. And if they died of the plague or something, they were put into the cemetery. They weren't put into the ossuary. So their bones weren't moved. Right. Okay. Well, fun fact, someone, even today, is hired to clean each and every bone. And, ew, how do you feel about doing that? (laughs) I I take it you say, ooh, ooh, so that's a no for you. Well, you know, would you have a conversation with 40,000 skulls? So you're talking 40,000 people? How would that work? And you, you're going to tell me that there's no reports of this place being haunted? There's no way this place is not haunted. It just, it just can't happen. It's got to be haunted. It's got 40,000 people. Their, their bones are just all over this church. 40,000 people. It's got to be haunted. Got to well, be haunted. Question. Since these 40,000 people wanted to be there then the hauntings would be, I don't Casper the ghost kind of friendly, maybe? Yeah, I would say so because, hey, this is where they wanted to be buried. Why leave? Let's hang around. We're on holy soil. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Okay. Well, folks, this brings us to the end of this episode. And as always, thanks for listening. Please like and share the show, and we look forward to your feedback. And until next time, when we discuss another tale yet to be told. Thank you for listening, and remember to like and share the show. We would also appreciate a five-star rating wherever possible to help new listeners find the show. We welcome all questions or comments you may have about this or any other episode, and our contact information can be found in the show notes of this episode. You can also follow us at foreverparanormal.com. And if you'd like to support us, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash forever paranormal. The links to these are also in the show notes of this episode.